You know, some people just take things too far. There's a clear line that maybe they shouldn't cross and they just see it and they step over it anyway. Like the kind of people that uh, like practical jokes, surprises. There are those who maybe do a practical joke out of jest and there are those who do a practical joke out of retaliation and revenge. Thinking about a specific couple when I was in college, you know, she played volleyball and she would travel a lot on the weekends. And this young man uh, was trying to reach out to her, and uh, he was one of those artist music types. And um, he he decided to invite her out to a concert and gave her tickets and roses and kind of wrote a little poem. And and so her and her roommate decided that they would respond with kind of a, a clever act, a prank, if they will. And so they went and took a they had these like pudding cup kind of things and they had uh, like vanilla wafers and they went and they kind of smeared out on his dorm room window the word yes and then plastered it with vanilla wafers. She thought it was cute. He didn't think so much, right? Him and his friends were kind of hanging out uh, the next weekend and she was out on one of her volleyball trips and this, this young man was hanging out with their friends and we should, go, we should go goof off, we should go do something to the volleyball team. It'd be funny that they come back and what if we did something to their windows? And so this young man, knowing his window had just been desecrated, graffitiized, just destroyed in humiliation, decided to join this band of ruffians and go out to the local grocery store and buy what they could to shellac and lacquer the windows the best they could. And this, this young man, thinking he'd be funny, Funny, you know, he bought things like syrup and flour and oats and uh, began to uh, buy all sorts of things that would coat this window. And then he got this crazy idea to buy Lindberger cheese. I don't know if you know what Lindberger cheese is like, but if you're ever at a gro- grocery store and you see it, just lean forward and sniff it a bit. It, 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 it's, a, it's really uncomfortable when you smell it. It stinks. And so these guys, they got together and he, I mean, everybody could see that this was an issue, but you know, he thought it'd be funny. And so he goes to her dorm room and, and the, the dorm windows were actually open. You could reach them enough. So it was a screen and the window was slightly open. And so as they, as they plastered the windows with this syrup and oats and flour, it made this incredible cake kind of paste on the outside. But then he decided to take the Lindberger cheese and grate it down the windows this is probably August, September-ish maybe, probably, and, and so it's still warm outside. They're gone for the weekend. The wind blows into the room. The wind blows out of the room. It kind of cakes on, and the, the volleyball team gets back. And I remember what happened, you know, because I was home that weekend, and, and all of a sudden the campus was a buzz because these volleyball girls came back, and the, the, the dorm that they were in um, had a lower level that was kind of like ground level, and so all these like squirrels and possums were like eating off their windows, you know? Which, from what I understand, volleyball girls are not necessarily nature lovers. That's what I'm guessing from. Because they had a, a visceral response to that experience of possums licking off their windows. Uh, then this girl came back to her room. You could smell it, from what I understand, all the way down the dorm hall. And she walks in, and she sees her own window caked and covered. And smells it. Understandably so, she was not thrilled. And um, she had to dry clean her entire clothing wardrobe. Now, some people like pranks for fun. Some people like pranks for retaliation and revenge. And I can tell you there's a good answer and there's good news to the story of this young man and this young woman that wanted to date. Because I'm that boy. (laughs) And I'm not going to say anything more about the message, but I did marry the girl, so you know, you know. (laughs) You know we brought some game to make that happen. The point is this. 
oftentimes there are those of us who see a line and we like to cross it. We don't like anybody to get one up on us. We don't want to be the kind of person that lets anybody take advantage of us. We, we're the kind of person that we just want to set our own pace. And so ultimately what happens is our pride, our ego gets in the way and we step across and do things that we know are probably not a good idea. And yet, when it comes to our faith, it seems like we pause that the line becomes a significant barrier. It's almost like, you know, those dog collars that people put on their dogs, the invisible fence. It's almost as if with our faith that somehow our community, our culture has told us there's a line that you walk to and you don't go past it. You can believe in God, but don't be extreme about it. You can believe in God, but let's not make it a big public affair. And what happens is oftentimes we have neutered our faith to the point that it's no longer potent. It no longer has uh, any sense of interest to the world around us. And so we're in this series called Christian Atheists. And last week we started to talk about this a little bit. About how, 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 how we believe in God, but we don't, we don't know God. And we talk so deeply about you can know Jesus. Jesus has made himself available, not only in his word, but as we begin to learn and to live and to obey to pray and spend time following after God, there's a, there's a relationship that gets fostered. It's not a formula. It's not something formal. It's like being part of the family of God. To be known, fully vulnerable before God and others in who we are known. But we define this phrase, Christian atheist, as someone who believes in God, but lives like he doesn't exist. It's an oxymoron. They should not go together. And yet it is perhaps the epidemic of our culture today. That we bought the t-shirt. We have the mug. We went to the event. We show up and attend. But the life that we live in the normal day of our lives does not reflect the very character of Jesus. And so there's been this challenge. What would it look like for us to live as followers of Jesus. And I think when, I, when we begin to talk about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, there's a couple of ideas that we need to just understand. Being a follower of Jesus means that we are people who personally know God. We are maturing in our relationship. That when we are confronted and we are called out by the Holy Spirit, that we would conform our lives into the character of Jesus. That we would stop and pause and listen to the promptings of God. We would have a regular diet of his word and prayer and in relationship with others. But we would see a kind of a pattern, a wake of our obedience that who we were yesterday is not who we are today. And people around us could have verifiable evidence. They could take soil samples of our heart and they would see that we are not who we were. And yet, oftentimes our Christian walk is more about how long we attended rather than how long we've been growing and maturing. Today I want to talk to you a little bit about what it means to be a Christian atheist that we believe in God, but we don't want to go overboard. Meaning there's a clear line in the sand and, and, and we're afraid we're going to get shocked if we press too far into it as a community. If you've got your Bibles, I want to encourage you to go ahead and open up to Revelation chapter 3. Here's the tension that we're going to unpack today. 
I believe in God, but I don't want to go overboard. Revelation chapter 3 has one of the most famous messages about this idea of going overboard or not going overboard. Revelation in the first couple of chapters has a group of letters that are written to a group of seven churches. Revelation is known as the revelation of the apostle John. He's actually in prison. God reveals to him a calling out of the local church to live in the likeness of Jesus. And so these seven churches are confronted about their own waywardness or faithfulness to God. And the church that we're going to look at is known for one that was being of great vibrancy as a city, a great church of health, but it gets off track and it loses It's potency. It's the church of Laodicea. We're going to start in Revelation chapter 3, and we're going to start in verse 14, and I just need you to pause with me. We're going to kind of break this out chunk by chunk, and we're going to talk through what these implications may mean, and then we're going to work this through, maybe how this applies to us. Revelation chapter 3, starting in verse 14, says, to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, let's just pause right there, who's the angel? Is, is the writer talking about a literal uh, winged creature, you know, this, this angel in heaven that is perhaps guarding, protecting, and overseeing the church? It could be a spiritual conversation. It could be a declaration of that heavenly messenger who is protecting that church. Other scholars say, well, it may be this as well. It may be the local pastor, the one who is shepherding the flock, speaking to the congregation, challenging them to live more like Jesus. And there is plenty of evidence that both may be true. It could very well be a both and scenario. But let's apply it this way today. Let's apply it as if specifically this is a calling out to a pastor who is speaking to his congregation and he is hearing from God the kind of church that they are and the church that they need to be. Then he goes on in verse 14 and he says this. These are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. That's Jesus, if you're unsure about what he's talking about there. I know your deeds, and you're neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, that's a word we probably want to underline, you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold. I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, but I'm rich. I've acquired wealth. I don't need anything. But you do not realize that you are wretched and poor, pitiful, blind and naked. So I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. Let's pause there for a moment. Imagine you're about to sit down with your supervisor and he wants to give you an evaluation over the last year. I mean, it's a bit difficult year. It's been unprecedented through COVID. So there are some things that you've probably succeeded in. There's other things that maybe you've struggled in, but you've spent some time thinking about where you've been over the last year. And, and, and so you're prepared for a conversation that could go well or may have some challenges. And now put it in the context of what's happening here. John is seeing a local church and he's seeing this this vision of a pastor who's going to stand before God one day and God is speaking into his life and he says, hey, I know your church, I know your people, and I know you. 
Let's talk a little bit about what's happened in your history and the trajectory about where you're going. You can imagine in that moment to kind of have a toe-to-toe, knee-to-knee, face-to-face conversation with God, kind of pull up a chair and open it up. It's going to be intense. You're sitting in front of God himself. God knows your heart, your motives. God knows what you did Friday night. God knows what you did Tuesday morning. God knows every portion of your life. And you're about to sit in front of God and say, okay, speak into my life. Who do you want me to be? The church of Laodicea was a a city of great renown. It was a large city of commerce. It had two groups of water that that were funneled into the city. One was a warm stream that came in, and the other was a cold stream that came in. The warm stream was thought to be of medicinal value. It brought healing and restoration. The cold stream brought refreshment into the community. Oftentimes, what has been taught in the past about this passage is that Jesus is saying, well, you're lukewarm. You're neither hot nor cold. I wish you were one or the other. And when saying that, what's been applied oftentimes is God wants you to be just fiery hot or he wants you to be just stone cold. And the connotation is that hot is good and cold is bad, that we would have a God who would want you to be totally on fire with him or give him the middle finger? That's not what the passage was about. Both streams had purpose. Both streams had value. But an earthquake hit Laodicea and the waters converged. And all of a sudden it was no longer healing and it was no longer refreshing. The irony is, is that the commerce and the industry and the business of Laodicea was strong enough that they pulled themselves up by their bootstraps, they recreated the aqueducts, and they got themselves back up on their feet. And the refreshment and the healing continued, but their dependency on God did not. Because the name on their jersey, the money in their wallet, the amount of ingenuity that they had, they just kind of said, we can put this back together, let's get it done. And they did. And Jesus says, time out. You were a people who were blessed by two streams that I provided for you. You were blessed by the ingenuity and the understanding about how to be able to create a civilization that could bring refreshment and healing. And now you've confused this moment after crisis has hit your community that you made it all happen. And you don't need me. And you don't want me. You like the experience of thinking that I'm a part of what you're doing, but the truth of the matter is you are self-made, self-dependent, self-whatever-you-want-to-say, and frankly, you live as a people who don't want me. And the truth of the matter is now that you stand in your own independence, you are more dependent than what you realize. You will stand for the moment, but you will not endure in eternity. We got another 20 minutes of this, people. I'm already worn out. This is, this is good. And I got another service to do. Do you feel the tension? Do, do, do you recognize that in our lives, it's not that we should be either hot or cold, either love Jesus or hate Jesus, but that each and every one of us have a purpose to this world. Some of you literally are the kind of people that bring refreshment to other people. I'll just be honest this morning. Some of you walking in without a mask on, smiling at me, has just brought energy to me. Some of you keeping your mask on has brought me energy too, but that's a different message, so I'm I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I'm, I'm not mean, I'm just joking. Some of you are like a warm water. 
You're the kind of person that holds somebody's hand. You give a hug. Your empathy, your understanding, you hear people in their struggle and you walk with them. And God's saying, you know, we, we, we should be the kind of people that either bring refreshment to the world or healing to the world. But when we create a world that's about us, we're neither. And we lose our potency. We just become attenders. We buy the shirts. We do the events. But we make no significant impact to the world around us. Then he goes on to say this. Those whom I rebuke, those whom I love, I rebuke and I discipline. So be earnest, repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and I will eat with that person and they with me. Why why does he say that? He just got done chastising the Laodiceans. He says, you know what? You don't have all that you need. You don't have the wealth and the influence that you think you have. It's good for this moment, but it's not great for an eternity. So I want to encourage you. Buy gold from me that's truly been refined. Gold gets refined through fire, through crisis, through a stress on the actual metal. He talks about us wearing white robes. It's a picture of restoration, forgiveness, and reconciliation. That our sin no longer bears its name on us, but we stand in the freedom that has been provided through Jesus Christ, that his death, his burial, his resurrection is not just about granting us forgiveness, but empowering us to be the people of grace and holiness to the world around us. But Jesus gives this picture of being a man standing at a door knocking. You've maybe seen the picture oftentimes, right, of Jesus knocking at a door and there's no, there's no handle for him to grab onto. Oftentimes people talk about this passage as being, if you just want to let Jesus into your life, say a prayer. This is written to the local church, friends. This is written to people who have a relationship with him. This is not a passage about reaching unbelievers. This is about a calling to the local church to awaken once again to the pursuit and the surrender of Jesus Christ. And we all have hearts and minds that are locked from the inside. But Jesus is expecting an opportunity for once this door is knocked on, that it would be a place of refuge. Not as a homeless person seeking refuge, but rather as the owner of the home expecting servants to answer readily and to come in and eat with him. This should be a welcome environment. That God is not ringing the doorbell of your house to come in and do massive cleaning and throwing it apart. He's coming in to have a meal with you as family. To help us once again establish the relationship that he had with us. Jesus has invited us to a table of acceptance and reconciliation back to him. Then he says this, to the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. Just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne, Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Holy Spirit says to the churches. 
That last phrase is after every letter to every church. It's almost the exact same phrase that Jesus said oftentimes when he taught a parable. He would say, he who has ears, let them hear. Recognizing that oftentimes there are people in a walk with God who hear the message, see the message, know the message, but they don't understand the message. And so Jesus isn't literally saying, hey, if you have ears, listen. Jesus is saying, if you hear what God is speaking in this moment, let it resonate so that it creates transformation, not just more information. Don't just know more, people. Be who God has called you to be. So this portrait of Jesus is given as a God who sits down with a pastor and speaks into this church's life and says, there was a day that we had a great dependency, an interdependency on one another, but a dependency on God. That all the wealth and all the influence and all the education and all the opportunity being a hub in the world meant very little compared to the relationship that we had. And a crisis comes into your life and all of a sudden I go out the window. You don't, you don't need me anymore. You built your life back up and it's like you're drifting away. So let me just tell you this, Laodicea. I'm here ringing your doorbell. I'm here asking for you to respond again. I'm here asking, let's be who we're supposed to be. Not a posture of judgment, not a posture of condemnation, but a frank, transparent family conversation about wake up. All we have is today, so let's make it right. Because those who live in this relationship will be not only victorious in this moment, but victorious for all of eternity. How can Jesus say that? Because he's the one who holds the keys to death and Hades. He's the one who who overcame sin and death. He's the one who spoke creation into being. He's the one who holds the universe in his hands. So if he can't say it, no one can. So imagine for a moment, there's a chance for you to sit down and think about an opportunity to talk with Jesus. You think about COVID. You think about that moment where Jesus says to us, he who has ears, let us hear And you start thinking about what it means to go overboard. What if following Jesus overboard means, I mean, let's be honest, uh, what if going overboard is literally following Jesus? The truth of the matter is it's going to be difficult to go overboard if you're not already on board with what God's doing in this world. And if we're not on board, there's probably some changes that we need to make. This word lukewarm comes in where we've lost our potency, we've lost our purpose, and now we stand as a people before God and we're really wavering back and forth, unsure about the direction of our lives, the purpose of our lives. So how do we ask questions about ourselves if we're lukewarm? Maybe these are some of the questions that we should ask. Am I a follower of Jesus who lives like Jesus is alive in me? What, what, what does lukewarm really look like for me? 
Am I reluctant to respond to the obedience of God? Is the struggle in my life due to COVID or our culture or frankly because I simply don't want to obey God through the hard stuff? What if my marriage isn't in trouble because of the hard economic times, but because I've just been a difficult person? Or my job isn't difficult because of the impact of others around me, but because I've been selfish? Are there portions of my life where I've ignored and blamed and turned a blind eye and and settled for what it is what it is? Have I helped create the complacency of my life and my walk? Here's where we are, I think, as an American church. We are coming out of one of the most complex situations of our time. Our history and our, our understanding of how to handle situations like this is confusing at best. But as we reemerge from this pandemic, we've lived through moments of a polarization of hate and bigotry and politics. We recognize the growing opioid and alcohol crisis in our homes. We see violence in our streets, specifically gun violence rising. I think maybe the question has to be for all of us is how different are we today than who we were a year ago? As individuals, as a church, how different are we today than who we were yesterday or a year ago? Now, some of us have made significant changes to our personal health, work issues, and I I don't mean to diminish anybody's journey on any level, but to have a frank conversation. I'm not trying to point fingers. This has been part of my own wrestling that I've been going through as I look at my own life and my own journey over the last year. Some of us have had to adjust to some incredibly hard financial situations. Maybe it showed up, we cut our cable, we stopped streaming services. Uh, Maybe we had to even open the windows and turn off the air because our financial situation radically shifted. For some of us, we battened down the hatches and we did what we had to do, frankly, just to keep moving forward. We were stuck in our homes. We couldn't get out. But how many of us would say, after all of that, we are now more gracious to others? How many of us would say, I've stopped being so difficult as a coworker or as a neighbor? How many of us would say through this season, we could say, I'm actually more generous. I helped a friend when they were in need. I did without so that others might have. Some of us had some great moments in our life of growth and change. Some of them were tweaks. Some of us went through significant transition. But did our walk with God grow any closer? Or did we just make a better version of ourselves? Are our eyes more centered on the person of Jesus? Or did we just keep working harder on the dependency of ourselves? An obedient life with Jesus is a maturing life. It takes us beyond our common complacency and places us in situations that are beyond our own comfort zones, and it's beyond the comforts of others. I like how John writes this in 1 John when he says this, whoever says, I know him, meaning God, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word... Love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Let me say that last verse again. 
Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. So let me just break this myth real quick. If you're concerned about setting a better pace than the person next to you, your target is off. If you're concerned with trying to be somewhat in the proximity of how I live or how an elder lives or how you think somebody spiritual lives, your, your target's off. Our goal is to live as Jesus lived for you, for me, for all of us to live as Jesus lived. Because collectively, when the church lives as Jesus lived, the world sees the presence of God. It sees the fingerprints of Jesus all over this world, and it stops recognizing personalities or famous celebrities or certain people who stands out. It starts seeing Jesus in our world. And that's why it's so important for every one of us to realize that there is no line of overboard. There is only the next step that says yes to Jesus. Every one of us are called to take one more step towards Jesus. For the rest of our lives, to the end of eternity, we are to follow after Jesus. And maybe that's part of the challenge. It's because when we spend so much time saying, well, I'm not as bad as them, or at least I don't do that, well, we're not talking about I struggle with this, well, I'm not the kind of person who does, but when we stand and say, Jesus, make me like you, there's a different calling on our lives. So let's go back to this moment, to this evaluation before God. Let's say that for a moment, you realize that this conversation is not going to go great. You're looking back on the last year and you recognize that there are growth points that you clearly skipped. And it was hard. But you know God's going to speak into your life. What would it look like for, for not only us, but as a church, but for us as people to truly sit before Jesus? A conversation with Jesus being fully divine, fully human, God himself sitting down in front of us to give an honest, true assessment of our lives. What would God say to the messenger of first? What would Jesus ask of us to truly understand? What would, what would he begin to press into our hearts that we would need to hear? I think Jesus would say this. First, friends of first, these days of COVID have been tough. Our world has been pulling itself apart and my heart breaks for our world and frankly, I think we are a significant part of the solution to this world. However, I have a question for you. Are you lukewarm and loving it? It seems you say that you believe in me, but you steady yourself so you don't go overboard. Being lukewarm Christian is this oxymoron statement. You seem to want me to wipe away your guilt, but not free you from your sin. You reach out when you are stuck, but you ignore me in your day-to-day -day life. Come on. Come on, first. You know who you are. You are my children, forgiven and restored. You are called out of the darkness and into the light that others might see me. You were not given a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power and boldness and self-discipline and love. Everything you need is wrapped up in love given to you by the power of my spirit. So let's stop living for the temporary life and start living for eternity. 
People's lives hang in the balance. First, you know that I love you, but wake up. Wake up to what matters most. Know me, love me, live for me. And we will change this world for an eternity. I think, I think Jesus might have something to say to all of us. And God desires to live within us and give us an eternal purpose once again. To stop living in the day-to-day mundane, to let our lives live us, but we live our lives. We need to begin to turn it around where we're fully surrendered back to Jesus once again, prompted by his spirit and obedient to whatever the next challenge is that God gives us. But the question is, are we lukewarm and loving it? Do we have exactly the life that we want? And is it the life that God wants us to have? Because if we are okay with a lukewarm life, I can promise you that God is not. God did not call us to a life of mediocrity. God's called us to break the mold, to step out of our comforts, to continue to grow and mature, and to see every day shaped into his likeness. As a staff, we've been wrestling with what is it we need to do to even follow after God. And so recently, we had the opportunity to to be invited to be a part of something with the YMCA because truth be known, even pastors, people who get paid to love Jesus, struggle with keeping their fire lit. We get stuck up of whether we should write a new mask mandate or who's going to be upset or who's going to like this or how do we get things filled or how do we get things taken care of. And we, we miss the point sometimes of pursuing life after life that may need Jesus. And so... The YMCA came to us and said, hey, we need volunteers. We're starting a new program called Why on the Fly. Maybe you've heard about it. They've targeted four High Hope neighborhoods. They're going twice a week to these neighborhoods for two hours a day. And what they're doing is they're doing kind of a Y program to regions and people who are not going to automatically be a part of the Y. Imagine that. The YMCA thinks that as a Christian organization, they should go to people in need, not expect them all to show up at their place. It's another message for another day, but I'm just excited about it. So they asked us to do it. We said, well, do you think our staff would want to do this? I mean, we got family, we got this, we got this, we got this. They took it in front of the lead team, and you know what our staff said? Absolutely. Let's prioritize this. Let's get out of our offices. Let's get into a neighborhood and let's go serve. I love our team. I love our team. You should love our team. Because they give so much to their families. They give so much to this church. And they realize that even where they are, they are probably doing more than the person next to them. But are they doing what God's asking of them? They said yes. So as First Christian Church, there are going to be some times that you call here and people are not going to answer the phone because the church has left the building. We are serving High Hope neighborhoods. We are stepping into this community. We believe that Jesus has called us to roll up our sleeves, get dirty, and start being light in darkness, caring for people who are far from God or have no relationship with God and begin to say, you are loved. In areas where there's more violence, there's more hurt, there's more heartache, we will step in. Not because it's not in our neighborhood, because it is but because we need to continue to extend ourselves. There's an eternal value that's at stake here. So here's what we need to understand. How do we know when we are lukewarm? In Jesus, our eternal direction in our lives will minimize our earthly dependence. Let me say it this way. An eternal direction minimizes earthly dependence. When we start focusing on the things of God and his direction, we will start seeing the world beyond just the momentary circumstances and live in his likeness. So how do we know if we're lukewarm? How do we stop being lukewarm? We have to admit before others 
and admit before God that we have lived a self-centered life created for our convenience and our comfort. We have to be the kind of people that confess how we have drifted back to our old ways and repenting to set a new course for our lives. We have to be the kind of people that take ownership of our own misdoing and our own misguiding. Oh, when our marriage has drifted and failed, we have to look in the mirror that maybe it was just us stepping out of our normal rhythm of our life. We have to take a different approach, maybe in our workplace, in our neighborhood, and start going beyond what we have felt comfortable with. The challenge is this, going overboard is what God has called us to because the world will continue to draw a line that gets further and further and further away from Jesus. And to be the church does not mean we cower. To be the church does not mean we hide. To be the church does not mean that we settle for comfort. We move forward as the spirit moves forward. So let's say one more thing. Church, maybe going overboard means that I don't just attend first, but I contribute to the mission of God. I serve, I give, I roll up my sleeves and I step out into this community. I'm gonna step across the line of my own comfort and I'm going to get engaged. The more we pursue the life that God desires, the less the desires of our world win in our lives. Let's move to a time of response. I want to encourage you, if you've not downloaded the app today, today's probably a good day. You should probably do that because I want to encourage you because I want to make sure that everyone in this room and everyone who hears this message is engaged with us at first. It's a primary way that we engage you, not only with opportunities to serve or to respond, but to understand the rhythm and the health of our church. If we're gonna move forward together, we should be engaged together. And so maybe there's a decision today. Some of you are saying, I, I, need, to, I need to join some of the mission of first. I need to serve on the weekend. Not every service, not every weekend, but what, what, what would it look like for me to start stepping one more step forward? Whether it's to give, hold a door, uh, care for kiddos, uh, join us in some service opportunities into the community. I wanna encourage every one of us as we leave today. This is not a message about whether it stepped on your toes. This is a message that we begin to be the people that go overboard to what the world expects from us. That we love more graciously, we serve more ferociously, we care more deeply, we are intentionally engaged to the relationships around us because Jesus first engaged us. What next step do you need to take? How do you need to respond? In just a moment, we're going to take communion. We pass out these emblems, and it's an invitation. Just like Jesus is sitting at our door knocking, Jesus sat down with his disciples, and he took the bread, and he said, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat, and they did. In the same way, he took the wine, and he said, this is my blood poured out for you. Take and drink. And we do this as a declaration, a reminder of all that Jesus has given to us, all that Jesus has provided for us, that our dependency is solely on him. 
And this invitation is for us to live surrendered, fully dependent lives on Jesus so that we continue to take the next natural step in front of us of obedience to continue to grow and walk closely with him. Will we be those kind of people? In just a moment, the band's gonna continue to sing and we have a chance to respond, whether it's through the Give app to be able to give back to the local church or the give and respond boxes or through, whether it's through our voice or prayer or singing or whatever it may be. But may these next songs... May they grab our hearts so that our feet might move forward, our eyes might open, and our ears might hear the prompting of the Spirit in a way that we've never heard it before as a church. And may we go fully overboard so that the world clearly says, I know who he is, but that looks like Jesus. Let's stand and respond.